Hello, everybody. It's Defend Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. I hope that you are doing well. This is um, concept, The Death of Concepts, Part 2. Uh, this is Naomi Klein's The Shock Doctrine, which I am slowly wending my way through the tree, nay, forest slaughtering uh, thickness of the book. And uh, it is a very instructive book to read. I would recommend it. It's, she's an excellent, excellent propagandist. And uh, I will give you some examples of that. Uh, some uh, comments on the uh, threads that have... Um, uh, been coming up is, uh, and I don't want to get into a whole thing about forests and trees, but uh, when I say that forests do not exist, I mean that in the same way that the abstract concept numbers don't exist, right? There are three coconuts uh, um, in a room, uh, the, there are three coconuts, three physical entities, but there is no number three that is associated. To take away the three coconuts, there's no residue number three. Three is a concept in our heads, the coconuts exist within objective reality. And uh, the forest and tree example is confusing for some, and I apologize for that, uh, because they say, well, but a forest is an interconnected bunch of trees with undergrowth and an ecosystem, and so how can you say it doesn't exist because a tree is just a bunch of atoms which are gathered together? And that's true uh, to some degree, but there still is a kind of clear delineation between uh, atoms, molecules, and cells that are bound together in a single entity like a tree, uh, which you can't separate, versus something which is like a forest, which is just a conceptual aggregate of a whole bunch of things which are not bound together uh, physically, right? So there's there's some difference, right? Like um, a crowd of people has a slightly different gravitational mass than an individual person, but the concept crowd still does not exist. You take away all the people from a square, there's no crowd residue left, right? So anyway, uh, I just wanted to point that out. That you can watch the Introduction to Philosophy series. There's also Understanding Concepts, a video which I think you could uh, have a go at if you, uh, uh, if you want. But it's really, really important. This is an Aristotelian essence question. You can also read Aristotle on this, the question of the difference, uh, like what is a concept and its validity to or application to, or as I would say, its derivation from individual physical instances of things. But it's very important to understand concepts don't exist in the real world. They exist as ideas within our head. There is, uh, uh, if I say there are three coconuts in the room, I may be saying a true or false statement, but the number three uh, doesn't uh, exist in the room. The concept truth does not exist in the room. Uh, it is merely the accurate representation of the ideas in my mind to that which exists within reality. So logic doesn't exist in the world, truth doesn't exist, virtue doesn't exist, uh, uh, values don't exist in the world, they are mere uh, th that doesn't mean that that's subjective, right? The scientific method does not exist in the world either, but that does not mean that the scientific method is completely subjective. Numbers don't exist in the world, but that does not mean that mathematics is subjective because of the logical rigor required. So uh, you might want to look into more of that, but until you get that down, uh, this isn't going to make a whole lot of sense to you. So I'm just going to read two little bits from the shock doctrine and uh, just talk about how there's such a terrifying lack of, uh, of uh, actual content in the language that uh, it's really chilling when you start to see it. Uh, this is from page 18. Uh, the, the, the chapter is entitled Blank is Beautiful, which is actually quite a, uh, could be a, an unconscious nod towards her own prose style. She writes, um, a more accurate term for a system that erases the boundaries between big government and big business is not liberal, conservative, or capitalist, but corporatist. Its main characteristics are huge transfers of public wealth to private hands, often accompanied by exploding debt, an ever-widening chasm between the dazzling rich and the disposable poor, and an aggressive nationalism that justifies bottomless spending on security. For those inside the bubble of extreme wealth created by such an arrangement, there can be no more profitable way to organize a society. 
but because of the obvious drawbacks for the vast majority of the population left outside the bubble, other features of the corporate state, corporate state tend to include aggressive surveillance, once again with governments and large corporations trading favors and contracts, mass incarceration, shrinking civil liberties, and often, though not always, torture. And um, so let, let's, let's go through this. Um, a system that erases the boundaries between big government and big business. I, 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 don't, I don't know what that means, because there's just people doing stuff, right? And a big government uh, is people who have the right to shoot people who don't give them money uh, and obey their codified whims, right? The laws are just codified whims, right? Uh, government is uh, government should have uh, a, a slogan: "Government free evil." Because that's what it really is, right? You get to steal, and other people pay for the enforcement of that stealing through um, the taxes that pay for uh, police and prisons and so on. Government is free evil. It's free evil. Um, uh, big government and big business. Um, the boundaries between big government. The government is just a business. Government is just a business that has a monopoly of, fo of force, or claims, a claims and, and has an effective monopoly on force. The, I, I don't understand what the difference is between government and uh, business in a statist society. Government is just the business that won a monopoly over the initiation of the use of force. Right? All uh, revolutions and, and social upheavals and tribal warfare, it's all about who gets to dominate or justify the initiation of the use of force. And when you look at the, the aristocracy, it's just a, um, it's a business of evil, right? And, and whoever wins uh, in that context uh, gets control of a society, right? So uh, founding fathers were the founding father gang, uh, the mafia, who were taking over or attempting to wrestle control over from the British mafia, right? So um, it's just another kind of business uh, and that is a corruption of the term business, because business is often used to mean, you know, voluntary, peaceful exchange of values uh, in a market economy. Uh, but uh, there is a, an economy called the monopolization of force in violence in society, and that is a kind of business. Uh, it is not free market. Uh, it is the opposite of a free market, but it is a source of immense a profit, again, to abuse the word slightly, but I think you sort of understand what you mean. So the, the, the system that erases the boundaries between big government and big business, I, I don't understand what that means. A government has uh, money that it extracts through force or fraud uh, in terms of printing extra money from the population. So it is a violent entity that exists uh, as a, the most successful criminal enterprise in the world. And uh, it has, uh, it's profitable, it's enormously profitable uh, to be around uh, the government and to be in this circle for sure. The profits in uh, statist paradigms within governments vastly outstrip the 3 to 6% profit that is the most that can be ratcheted out of a free market system. And so I erase the boundaries between big government and big business. It's like this use of the word public and private. I don't know what the hell that means. I mean, there's no, there's not two different species. There's not like a reptile human that's called public and a, a mammal, mammalian human that's called private. Public, private means nothing to me. I don't understand what it means. Some people can use guns and some people can't. Violent or non-violent, uh, voluntary or coerced, you know, brutal or uh, optional. I mean, the, uh, public and private again. It's just one of these. Uh, words that is used to erase the reality of the evil of violence that the state is. Um, so, he, she says, its main characteristics are huge transfers of public wealth to private hands. Huge transfers of public wealth to private hands. 
I, again, I, I don't know what that means in, in, in any kind of real way. I have no idea what that actually means. But the public wealth is simply has been robbed from private citizens. I mean, th there is no such thing as a public citizen or a public servant. There are only people doing stuff. And those people who call themselves the government use force and fraud to extract trillions of dollars from their fellow citizens, drape themselves in flags and oh, nonsense. So there's no such thing as public wealth. There's only private wealth. There's only private wealth. There's no such thing as public wealth. Because there's no such thing as a public human being. There's only a human being. So huge transfers of public wealth to private hands. Um, but the public wealth only comes because it has been already transferred through the threat of violence or violence itself from other citizens. So there's no such thing as public wealth. Often accompanied by exploding debt and ever-widening chasm between the dazzling rich and the disposable poor. I mean, the language is great. It's a, as far as prose poetry goes, it's absolutely got no meaning, but it's, it's just wonderful. For those inside the bubble of extreme wealth created by such an arrangement, there can be no more profitable way to organize a society. Absolutely. Violence is very profitable. Violence works. The threat of jail works biologically. Of course, those who preferred resistance to violent hierarchies uh, to submission uh, died, usually before they would reach reproductive age. And even if they did uh, have kids, those kids may not survive. So yeah, absolutely, obedience and conformity to violence is foundational to our survival as a species. And yes, violence is extremely profitable. But like all socialists, uh, she wants to um, divide uh, violence into good violence and bad violence, right? This is the, the goal, I call it the golden, it's the myth of the golden gun, right? That if someone gets a hold of this gun and points it at just the right people in just the right way, a magical fountain of dazzling and glorious and, and uh, fireworky virtue will erupt from the golden gun and turn the world into a paradise where we can all drink milk from the udders of unicorns. Uh, it is, of course, a complete fantasy that uh, the violence uh, can be used for virtue, but this is why public versus private, government versus uh, citizens versus corporations versus unions, all of these entities are uh, created in order to uh, erase uh, or, or at least befog that dividing line between violence and voluntarism. So for those inside the bubble of extreme wealth created by such an arrangement, there could be no more profitable way to organize a society. I mean, it just since the government is when you when you break it down to people doing stuff is absolutely indistinguishable from organized crime. It is simply the most successful uh, crime uh, organized crime unit. Can, can you imagine that if I described the mafia extortion of helpless and broken shopkeepers and restaurant owners, right? You know, the guys who come in is like, hey, it'd be really bad if something happened to your restaurant. You know, it looks kind of flammable, right? That the threat would be clear. Uh, so if I was speaking about the mafia and I said, for those inside the bubble of extreme wealth created by such an arrangement, there can be no more profitable way to organize a society. It would be meaningless. Um, threatening people with violence works. People will pay off those who point a gun at them in order to be left in relative peace. Extortion works, uh, violence works, brutality works, incarceration works. And torture, of course, is the definition of statism because jails are torture, right? You've got uh, cockroaches in your food, you've got shivs in your stomach, uh, you've got uh, dicks in your ass, 
uh, it is uh, uh, extremely brutal, uh, medieval, uh, violent, destructive, and of course uh, ends up uh, festering even more criminal behavior from those who are subjected to such brutality. So um, uh, uh, government is founded upon torture. Jail is torture, right? The threat of jail is the threat of torture, because, or the, the, the reality of torture, because modern jails, and all jails throughout history, have been mere uh, torture fests where sadists, uh, whether they be guards or prisoners, get to uh, reenact their brutalized childhoods with everyone else. So, statism is torture. Uh, statism is the threat of torture and murder. I mean, uh, so violence works. Violence is very profitable. Absolutely. I mean, but you can watch The Sopranos to understand that. Look at the house he lives in. So, uh, on page 24, she says, quote, I am not arguing that all forms of market systems are inherently violent. It is eminently possible to have a market-based economy that requires no such brutality and demands no such ideological purity. A free market in consumer products can coexist with a free, with free public health care, with public schools, with a large segment of the economy, like a national oil company held in state hands. It is equally possible to require cooperation to pay decent wages, to respect the rights of workers to form unions and for governments to tax and redistribute wealth so that the sharp inequalities that mark the corporatist state are reduced. Markets need not be fundamentalist. Keynes proposed exactly that kind of mixed regulated economy after the Great Depression, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, she's a smart woman and a good writer, in my opinion. Not, not to say a virtuous writer, but a good writer. A free market in consumer products can coexist with free public health care. Uh, so, of course, a free market fundamentally is characterized by the non-aggression principle and a respect for property rights. That's really... And you can't have the non-aggression principle without respect for property rights because uh, property begins with personhood, right? And if people can violate your personhood, then that's violence, or stick you with a knife or shoot you with a bullet. And so without property rights, there's no such thing as the non-aggression principle. And without those two things, there's no such thing as a civilized group of people. Uh, there's no possibility of a virtuous society where there is acceptance of violation of the non-aggression principle. Simply not, not possible. So she says, a free market in consumer products. What that means is that uh, violence is not used to extract money from people, but rather the free exchange of voluntary value characterizes human interactions. Can coexist with free public health care. <laughs> Sorry, short circuit reboot. So, uh, free market means no uh, violence and respect for property rights. Free public health care, of course, is a complete lie. There's no such thing as free anything. Free public health care, um, free market, free public health care, free market voluntarism and a respect for property um, and the non-aggression principle. Free public health care is the initiation of the use of force, uh, stripping people of, of property and of uh, their lives, right? If I steal your money, I'm stealing your life, uh, making you into an involuntary ex post facto slave. If I steal $100 from you and you make $20 an hour, you have been my slave for five hours. So it's a temporary, after-the-fact enslavement. It's an initiation of the use of force, and it is always under the threat of torture, right? Because government jails are torture. It is all Abu Ghraib in there. So uh, a free market in consumer products, a free public health care, public schools, it means absolutely nothing other than voluntarism equals violence. Voluntarism can coexist with violence, Right, so you see, what, what what this means is that if you have a girlfriend, you can uh, rape. Raping her can coexist with lovemaking. Uh, these two are morally equivalent. Right, you understand that would be completely insane. 
It's to say that uh, a, um, a bunch of merchants voluntarily trading with customers in a market, uh, fruit sellers or whatever, uh, are, are morally identical and can peacefully coexist with uh, a mafia uh, who sticks guns in their mouths and uh, takes their money. Right? There's no difference between these two. Right? And of course, this is just insane. And, and it comes because people aren't talking about people doing stuff. They're talking about weird abstract concepts that are the opposite of understanding and moral clarity. With a large segment, she says, of the econ economy, like a national oil company held in state hands. Ooh, held in state hands. Doesn't that sound like a beautiful government baby that's being cuddled and nestling in the teat of statism? Uh, held in state hands, what does that mean? It means that uh, it has been, uh, the state doesn't create uh, a national oil company, it simply expropriates it through the threat of force. And you say, well, but the government, uh, Allende, offered uh, the, uh, the corporations a fair market price for their, but that doesn't matter because the government doesn't have any money. So when the government offers to pay an oil company, it is simply stealing from the taxpayers uh, through the threat of force to pay for uh, the oil company. There's no fair market value, it's just a ripoff, right? And uh, held in state hands. What does that mean? It means that uh, uh, if you, uh, it means that the government uh, forcibly steals, right? That the mafia that's called the state forcibly steals uh, and forcibly pays for by using violence against others to extract the money for that purchase price. Forcibly pays for some company, and then um, anybody who tries to uh, compete with it uh, generally is uh, is going to be shot or thrown into the torture cells, uh, rape rooms of modern prisons. So held in state hands. What does that mean? Again, if you were just to talk about it in, in reality, right, if the mafia takes over a business, you know, like in The Sopranos, Tony Soprano takes over, gets that guy, gets involved in gambling, which is more voluntary than the mafia usually is, ends up taking over his sports, sporting goods store. Um, so the, the mafia comes in and, and takes over a restaurant directly and uh, shoots anyone within a couple of blocks who tries to compete with that restaurant. Uh, and we say that this restaurant uh, is being held in state hands. No, it's been stolen and it's being forcibly used, uh, uh, kept as a monopoly. Uh, it is equally possible to require uh, corporations to respect the right of workers to form unions. Well, of course, that is no reality to what unionism is. I mean, unionism, who cares? Voluntary association is fine. I mean, people can join unions, set up unions, they can set up model railroading and rocket clubs if they want. Uh, but uh, they, that's not what unions are. What unions are at the moment is state-protected monopolies that have the right to shut down corporations indefinitely. And that started in the 30s, and um, the relationship between uh, unions and the state is uh, destructive, predatory, and uh, violent in the extreme. And so it's not that workers uh, aren't allowed to form unions, it's that they... Um, they have all of these state benefits, state coercion, state controls, where... Uh, which which is the foundation of violence within the... It's why the mafia and the unions are in the same deal, right? And for governments to tax and redistribute wealth so that the sharp inequalities that mark the corporatist state are reduced. So redistribution of wealth, sharp inequalities are reduced. I mean, that's charity, right? I mean, the United Way does that. I mean, without the taxing, right? The United Way says, well, there are people who are very poor and there are people who are generous and wealthy and uh, we should, uh, you know, introduce these two to reduce the inequalities. And, of course, that, to me, a charity is a fine and wonderful thing to do. But uh, to, to tax and redistribute wealth, uh, again, for, for some people to be able to point guns at other people, take their money and, and do whatever they want with them, right? I mean, that's... Right? This has got nothing to do with what actually happens in the world. Tax and redistribute wealth and help the poor and public schools and free health care. I mean, this is all nonsense, right? Because it's all 
a complete abstract, uh, you know, unicorns uh, will cure my illnesses, right? I mean, it's all complete nonsense. And this idea that there's uh, this, this people who can pick up the gun and use it for virtue, uh, and these other people who uh, pick up the gun and use it for bad things uh, is, of course, the fundamental uh, uh, madness uh, in most philosophy, what's called philosophy uh, in the world. Uh, and it's, it's a real tragedy, but I think it's important to remember that, um, I mean, she's, again, a smart propagandist and, and a good capitalist in a weird kind of way, and I'll just sort of end up with this before we move on to part three. This, this market, and I use the word market again somewhat loosely, but forgive me if you don't mind. This, this market that exists for blurring the line between violence and voluntarism is huge, right? When people get involved in corrupt and violent organizations, um, most people who have a conscience, right? And conscience is just UPB, right? I mean, we, we absorb reality and we understand hypocrisy innately. That's what a conscience, that's why when we create opposite rules for ourselves than for others and call university, uh, morality universal, we, uh, our conscience bothers us uh, and tortures us, in fact, because we are UPB compliant creatures. That's how we survive in reality and that's, uh, we recognize violations of that uh, innately. But when people get involved in a violent organization like the state and a third of U.S. workers, I think, are involved in or dependent upon the state. Corporations are dependent upon the state and so on. When people get involved in corrupt organizations, their conscience begins to really bother them. And no one who's, say, a public school uh, teacher can fail to understand that uh, his uh, her salary paid for through taxation, which is fine. We may not understand this consciously, but we get it. And we get it all unconsciously. There's nothing that people don't understand about this uh, deep down, and that's what triggers their... Uh, their, uh, pr the provocation of their conscience, right? The nagging of the conscience. Now, when people are involved in something that is corrupt and immoral, like statism, uh, they face uh, a choice, right? And it's a very fundamental choice, right? I mean, they either stop being involved in uh, corruption and evil, or they uh, redefine corruption and evil as good, so that they can continue to profit from their association with, uh, with evil, right? And so, there's a huge market out there for moral excuses, uh, moral avoidance, moral obfuscation. Uh, this is religion, right? And this is statism. Uh, and this certainly is this kind of uh, polemicized, uh, hypocritical, uh, covering up of uh, burying the bodies in the desert kind of writing. There's a huge market out there for providing those involved with evil moral excuses for their involvement. Right, and we all think, of course, of uh, you know corporations who profit from uh, statism, but uh, you know on a percentage basis, people uh, corporations don't profit from statism nearly as much as state employees, right? I mean, a corporation may get twenty percent or thirty percent of uh, its income from state contracts and its involvement with statism, and that's not great, right? But uh, a um, uh, a government worker uh, gets 100% of his or her income from the state, right? So on a mere percentage basis, uh, the, the actual sums may be larger for corporations, but the percentage, which is what really counts when it comes to economics uh, and uh, one's livelihood, the percentage is 100% for state workers, right? So our state workers are more involved in this kind of corruption than um, corporations, right? And if you take away 20% of a corporation's profits, it can... Uh, you know, lay off some workers, it can retrench, it can look for other markets, it can go overseas, it can shut down 
no longer profitable product lines. It can still survive, right, as an entity, but uh, a tax accountant, if a status amends, a tax lawyer, uh, you know, what the hell is he going to do as 100%? Or, you know, somebody who works as a clerk in a, you know, the DMV or whatever. I mean, all their skills were gone. I mean, they could probably get another job somewhere, but it's 100% to zero is a lot more catastrophic than 100% to 80%, right? So, so these people who are enmeshed and entrenched within status systems have a bad conscience about it, and you can, you know, don't take my word for it, just talk to anyone you know who works for the government and talk about the uh, violence of statism and uh, see how they react. They will react, because they know, right? There's no shock, right? They're not like, oh my God, I had never thought about it. They, are, they get tense right away, because they know, right? They already know. Uh, there's nothing, we're not teaching anyone anything when we talk about freedom and voluntarism. We are uh, not invention, we're not inventing anything. We are simply unearthing. We are not inventors, but archaeologists. We are simply unearthing what people already know deep down and which tortures them already, right? Which is why they're so, vo why they're so volatile when we bring these topics up. So there's a huge market for justifying participation with uh, corruption and uh, and evil, right? From war movies to to this kind of stuff to blurring these uh, the blurring the distinctions between violence and voluntarism and calling it corporatism or socialism or fascism or you know a mixed economy or statism. I mean, it's all just nonsense, right? Because the only distinction that really matters uh, is between violence and voluntarism, between peace and war, between uh, slaughter and uh, peace, uh, mutual support, voluntary interactions. So given that there's this huge market and people are desperate for uh, any, anything which, which justifies and gives them temporary relief from their conscience, for their, from their participation in an evil and destructive system, uh, people are so hungry for that that if you write stuff that gives people uh, a, a relief temporary and relief, and of course it simply makes the problem worse, right? It's like giving someone heroin for a toothache, right? It may give them relief in the moment, but of course the rot only goes deeper and they become addicted to whatever painkiller you are prescribing because the pain simply increases if all you do is mask the symptoms but not deal with the cause. And so she's very smart in terms of, as you can see throughout the book, this constant um, equivocation and, and uh, uh, destruction of the differentiation between violence and voluntarism is continual. And people who are involved in violent systems like, like the state uh, desperately want that, and they will pay lots of money for it, because we are UPP and moral-based life forms, as I've argued uh, elsewhere. And remember, the book is free. Let's go to freedomainradio.com forward slash free and download it. I think it could be the most important book you will ever read or listen to, and I'm very uh, happy to have it out there for free. But uh, there is this hunger that people have, uh, and this savage guilt that they have, this hunger for justification because the guilt that they feel for participating in, participating in violent and destructive systems uh, is, is overwhelming. And the, the, they grasp like drowning men at, a, uh, at a, uh, a log or a raft for any kind of justification. Of course, the raft always sinks, they end up in the water, it's even colder and they need more. And that's why, in my opinion, the book is so successful, not because there's any logical or moral content in it, but because uh, it is a massive... A pain-relieving drug that goes directly into uh, the uh, hearts uh, and souls, or at least the shells thereof, of people who are involved in these systems. And this is why the market for this uh, nonsense anti-concepts is so strong, because when people uh, live 
uh, and, and neck deep in, in violence, uh, they absolutely need the idea that they're swimming in the Red Sea, not drowning in the blood of their fellow citizens. And they will pay almost any uh, amount of money for that justification. Uh, so I hope that that makes some sense. Thank you so much for uh, listening and watching and for donating if you have. And if you haven't, I would really, really appreciate it. And uh, I will talk to you soon.